Get outside, become a regular. This is the Mountain Regulars Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Uh, Jared here. Um, I think today we're going to talk talk about the uh, the Hunt Expo that Katie and I attended with some friends back in early February in Salt Lake. Uh, I think that's what now our third, my third time. Your third, my second. Yeah, so my third, your second. Um, yeah, my first trip was with a fellow mountain regular, a neighbor of ours that we hunt quite a bit with, and uh, we really enjoyed the first time around. And then Katie and I again, you know, post COVID stuff, we um, we went. We went last year. Yeah, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's a. Uh, it's kind of overwhelming sometimes, to be honest with you. You kind of. You get your tickets and you go down the escalator. If you get there, like when the place actually opens up, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people that are waiting to get in. Yeah, once they open those gates and they start scanning tickets, it's kind of a mad dash to for everyone trying to get to their favorite booth. And uh, pretty much, if you can think about it in the hunting world, it's there. What'd you think, Katie? Me, I wasn't really impressed this year. If Why's I'm that? being honest, there was too many damn people. There were a ton of vendors, so they opened up more space in the back of the big exhibit hall and it's just i don't know i don't feel like it's as organized as it could be in some ways i mean they have it laid out like there's streets and avenues and whatever else but i don't know and then there was no freaking stickers this year yeah yeah last year we went we got quite a bit of yeah there was no swag which understandable for companies totally understand it but when you're paying what do we pay 25 dollars a day a person to get in it'd be nice to get at least something because, and a lot of the vendors didn't even provide any kind of show discount or anything like that either. Yeah, 2022, the first day they let everybody in, they were just handing out like free Bass Pro Shops hats and Cabela's hats and things like that. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. I mean, probably hats that the majority of people aren't going to wear, but. I think that's the problem with the organization too, is the getting in. Yeah. They have like one or two entrances open and we got there before the doors opened or right after the doors opened, like maybe 10, 15 on, what was it? Friday we went for the first day. Yeah. This year we went Friday and the line was insane how long yeah. it was. And it took a while to get through it. And it's like, I don't, you guys need to figure out a better system. Cause even last year they had issues too. So last year they, uh, their systems went down and I didn't last year, I didn't print the tickets. So it was only on my phone, which they said you could do because they would just scan your QR code. Well, their systems went down and people were ready to riot last year. <laughs> it was yeah. bad. And eventually they just said, screw it. We're just letting you guys in. There you go. Like, just like show us your ticket as you go by at least. And then good to go this year. It seemed like they had similar issues where like the QR scanning uh, ticket stand was either taking too much time between tickets or something. So thank goodness I printed ours this year. And I literally just tore them. Like, here you go. Hand it. And I just walked through. Yeah, there's a big difference too. I mean, just going from a a Friday to a Saturday. Because it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday show. And Sunday kind of ends early. But you get down there on Thursday or Friday. There's not, I mean, there's still an absolute ton of people. But it's not like the absolute madhouse it can get on Saturday. And the, I mean, obviously, the more people, the better for the show, the better for the vendors, because a lot of these guys, some of these smaller brands and things like that, when you start looking at how actual, how much merchandise actually costs between hats and t-shirts and hoodies and stickers, 
you know, beer can koozies and things like that, that stuff racks up so much that a lot of these smaller brand companies are just kind of selling hats and shirts and hoodies and such. The more people that walk past their booth, the more potential customers they have. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Where you get there and Saturday morning, it's, it's just being bombarded. You're bumping elbows with people constantly, but for the vendors, it's, it's I can't stand the strollers. That's what I can't yeah. stand, which yeah. I understand is the easiest way to wrangle your children is in a stroller or a wagon or something like that. But it's just they're completely ignorant and oblivious to the other people trying to walk around them, which is frustrating. Um, there were some smart people that just strapped their kids in like one of those backpacks or carriers. Um, a lot easier, smaller profile, all that stuff. But yeah, there was a lot more people than there were last year. And the more vendors was great, too. But like I said, and they have to spend a lot of money to get into that show. Yeah, and you get to the point, too, like where you have like downtime in the season. So September rolls around, and archery season picks up. End of September, October, gun rifle season picks up. And then that can go all the way into, you know, the late season tags, end of November, December, even some tags go into January. And then it's like, boom, hunting season's over for the vast majority of people, pretty much September and October. And then then, it's, then what? So then you kind of transfer from hunting season to like the expo season because there's hunt expos and outdoorsman shows all over the West, up and down the East Coast. They've got a big one up in Portland. And then so a, a lot of people, I would say pretty much everybody towards the Western side of the United States all knows that hunt expo in Salt Lake. And they definitely... Um, I mean, they pretty much advertise it all year. And now that COVID's really over the pandemic, there's no restrictions or things like that. People just want to get out and do things again. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand. It's just with the amount of extra vendors this year, the rows were a lot thinner. So it didn't allow for a better flow of traffic. And then there's that pinch point. So the whole thing's laid out in like a big L shape. And that where the two, like, I don't know, the latitude and longitude where those two meet, where there's like a perpendicular corner, it was not laid out well, in my opinion. So it just... Because, like, that sheep feet tent was, like, right there in the way. So you couldn't really... It was yeah. tough for traffic to flow. And then people want to stop and see these vendors. So that gets... That kind of blocks up traffic, too. So I feel like they just need a little bit better for logistic planning, I guess, to mm-hmm. manage it. Yeah, then you have a lot of the the big YouTube guys, right? You got, you know... Um, you know, obviously the Hushin crew, they're, they're real big in Salt Lake. A lot of them are based out of that area. And they have a ton of content on YouTube. And they're a bunch of good guys. Um, They always have a lot of merchandise. And they'll kind of hang out and sign autographs. And people will bring a set of, uh, you know, antler sheds, like a match set. And they'll sign them and things like that. So it's a lot of fun. Um, But a lot of times people will flock to the bigger booths. Mountain Ops has a giant booth where they have all their different flavors of Ignite and Yeti and things like that where you can try them out. And they've got a... They have like live music going on too yeah. most of the day, which was interesting because yeah, it's booth. so loud in there. You couldn't really even hear it. Yeah. Even when we were in their booth, it was, you still didn't hear it that much because there's just people yelling. There's people showing off their bugle tubes and yeah. duck calls <laughs> going off everywhere. So it's, yeah. it's you, an interesting place. You walk through the expo, you're going to hear pretty much an elk bugle call, a bugle tube almost yeah. every second. It's And it's funny because you first walk in, you're like, oh man, it's so cool. I love it. Love hearing that sound. After then, about four hours of it, you're about, about ready to... And a full day of walking through there and just 
people screaming beetle tubes in your face all day. It's like, okay. Yep. So it is, it is a great event to go to if you're looking to compare gear or to compare companies that, that carry gear that you're interested in. Because most of the big ones do end up going there. And you, you kind of find little surprises. Like that little, what was that? The rock pot. Oh, that yeah. backcountry crock pot. It's a really cool little thing. So if you guys want to look that up, it's pretty interesting. Um, but you could like throw all your food in there before you hit the trail in the morning. And then by the time you get back, you got a nice hot pot roast or something like that, yeah. which is really interesting. Yep. Totally uh, by a heating a heating element. It's a, pretty much a ceramic stone that you, they yep. heat in the fire you put in the bottom of it. So it takes zero power to do it. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yep. And there's, like I said, pretty much anything you can think of, like, just any kind of game call, camo company, boot company, uh, bullet manufacturer. The majority of them are there. There, not yeah, all of them. Not all of them, but there are. Because first light wasn't there, which yeah. was a little disappointing. Because I would have liked to try that camo because there's no stores around here that carry it. So it's yeah. As yeah, a woman, it's, it's very much... hard to order things offline to entrust that they fit. So, and True. I understand that the hunting world is a male-dominated sport, but it's just it's very difficult to find things that fit well and all that. So you're, you're strictly relying on local supply, whether it be your local little store. So here in our area, we have what one or two yeah, that carry any kind of camo outside of just Walmart's real tree, basic camo. Um, if we go up to Billings, Montana, then you have more opportunities with Cabela's and shields, but still the, the opportunities for, for women gear is, is still very low. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think they're making strides at the same time to try and bring more, you know, um, female-oriented hunting companies, but it's it's a slow process because, like you said, just the just the hunting activity has been more male-derived pretty much since the dawn of time. Yeah, it's just a lot of the companies too. They just don't actually take into account female models. So, like you bought Scree gear and you were you really like it, and I went and tried on their. So they just launched their women's line, so I understand that it's limited coming out and everything like that, but the sizing was drastically inconsistent. So, like, going from the large jacket to the extra large jacket was a... It was almost two sizes in between those two. So I don't know if it got mislabeled. Maybe the extra large was actually a 2XL or something like that. And then I tried four low on, and that was laughably small. Yeah. Like, the large was not even close. So I'm typically... Typically a large in most things. I like to go to an extra large in jackets just because I have big shoulders and if I want a layer and whatnot. But yeah, it was laughably small. And then they didn't even bring an extra large to the show, so they were unprepared. <laughs> and I was I was looking forward to to trying them on because they're made in the USA and they're they're based out of Montana, which isn't far from where we are. But yeah, it was it was dis- I was disappointed in the women clothing this this year. Yeah, I mean overall it's a lot of fun going there. That's like I said, it's you can't. If you really want to take your time, I mean, you could blow through it and hit four or five booths that you wanted to go to. But, I mean, that's what I've done in the years past. Like, the first year I went, it was uh, just getting a feel for it. And we did a full day. And, I mean, you're literally walking through there for, like, six, seven, eight hours. That's kind of what we did this year, though, too. Or The first day we went, we kind of, we hit the booths that we knew we wanted to hit. Yeah. And then the next day, we just kind of, we kind of did a couple laps and just saw everything that was there for the most part yeah but the first day we hit up our favorites which was peak refuel yeah <laughs> got a good deal on their meals and oh, all of their sure. meals are so good what's your favorite come on oh yeah my favorite is by far chicken pesto pasta yep. that's jared's favorite i will i will eat that stuff in my living room <laughs> like, <laughs> that would not be good no <laughs> it's not i mean they're designed to 
you know, they're high in sodium, of course, for being, you know, freeze-dried meals. But, at a, I mean, we've tried almost every company that there's out there. And, and uh, even those, what were those weird ones last year that we tried? I can't remember the exact brand of it. We bought them up at Shields. They were kind of like those vegetarian ones. Yeah. The one I had was either vegetarian or vegan. So it's like, you don't need a stove to heat it up. You just pour the water in and there's some kind of catalyst in there that then heats the food back. So it's more like an MRE than some of these other backpacking yeah, meals you can that pour, are... Yeah, you can pour cold water in it. You can it... pour like swamp water in it because it said any kind of water. True. That water doesn't matter because it just heats up this... Ca- or it reacts with this catalyst, makes it boiling hot water that then heats the food in there. So I had, I don't know, some kind of chili, like bean chili or something like yeah. that. And it was really good. It was very small portions compared to some of the other meals, but it was good. You had that one. It was uh, the pad thai from oh, Backpackers. Backpackers Pantry. Oh my and that, goodness! That pad thai was. I mean, I know there's people out there. It was flavorful, there. but they needed to put a warning on it, being like, "Hey, this is spicy." Because no offense, we all know when we're in the backcountry that your digestion is kind of comes second to just getting food in your body, and unfortunately, we have to deal with dehydrated meals and whatnot. So, your digestion is not great. But then you add super spicy food to an already messed up di- like digestive tract, and you're <laughs> you're not going to be happy. Yeah, that was, and I'm a big wimp when it comes to hot, spicy stuff, and it was, for me, it was unedible. I can tolerate spice, but, like, the more you eat, obviously, it gets spicier and spicier and spicier, but it was pretty dang spicy up to, to begin with, and there was no warnings on that bag at all, being like, hey, yeah. this is spicy pad thai. Yep. It was kind of crazy. Nope. Yeah, we uh, hit the peak refuel tent, obviously, to, to kind of stock up on some on some uh, meals getting ready for scout season. And what was great with them was they were actually heating meals up. Yeah. At different times of the day, you could try different meals. So we tried a couple of different ones, like their biscuits and gravy, which is not one of my favorite meals anyways, but it literally tasted like I made it here at home. It was that good. And then the coconut curry, coconut chicken curry or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. that one ended up being really good too. The cheesy chicken and broccoli rice is really good. I had that one yesterday when we, or two days ago when we went hiking. Yep. It was really good. So, and then, uh, had to hit up, I don't know if, if, if anyone has done a bunch of, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you guys have done a bunch of backpack research, but, because I mean, there are, a lot of them are there. I mean, Stone Glacier is there, and Mystery Ranch is there, and Exo, Exo uh, Mountain Gear is there, and so we actually went over to the Initial Ascent booth, a uh, bunch of great guys, they're based out over in Idaho, so they're, I mean, they're again, they're pretty close to home, and we've tried their stuff on in the past, and this year, we upgraded your pack. Yeah. I ended up investing in one because in the past what I've done is I haven't found the right pack to kind of fit all my needs really. So in the past I've, I've literally made my own backpacks and things like that from I'll I'll go to yard sales or thrift stores or whatever and buy the old school external frame packs, take the pack existing pack off of it and build a pack and put it on there. And they were pretty well, it did pretty well for a couple of years. Um, but I know I needed something that to last longer and initial ascent. They had, they came out with a new women's frame this year. So it's the Invictus frame. Yeah. Um, but all of their stuff is like engineered. They go through layers of designs and in phases and all of that. And it's, what is it? It's like carbon fiber. Yeah. The whole pack frame is carbon fiber. Yeah. So it's super lightweight. It's conformed to you. And then they, what I also like to say, I have a huge, um, lumbar support and with their big hip strap so it's super cozy to have on and while we're at the show they put there's 50 pounds in your pack right or is it 45 45 so there's 45 pounds in the pack they 
adjust at all because this thing is super adjustable for like your torso length your they have different hip straps for for different uh waist measurements and whatnot so they get you with the 45 pound pack on your back they get you all strapped up show you how to adjust everything and then on the top of their frame they have two little kind of hooks up there and they put 50 pounds on each side in another pack and i could still do squats with 145 pounds on my back which is yeah Pretty crazy if you think about it. I mean, we've carried out elk quarters, and I'm usually topped out at two quarters. Or if you take the head with your cape, that's that's pretty dang heavy. So, and I've managed that before, but with this kind of pack, that's that's stable on your back, and it's nice because because it is so stable on your back, and all the weight is distributed down through your hips. Your shoulders don't get that fatigue. Your upper back isn't hurting, and strapping more weight to the sides is is nicer for clearance because in our area there's where you hunt elk is pretty much the worst terrain you can imagine. And that's where they like to hang out. So the elk love to hang out in any kind of bad terrain. So they love dead, dead timber, like fresh uh, fire grounds, all that stuff. So having clearance and having that stability while trying to traverse dead timber going up over all that stuff is is vital in this area. For sure, it is. Yeah, their definitely initial ascent is designed for heavy pack. Um, the way that it sits on your back, the way that carbon fiber frame is designed, like Katie said, with the lumbar support and the different size hip straps and the shoulder straps. And and another cool thing with the initial ascent packs are they have different size packs that all work on the same frame system. And I know a lot of other companies are kind of like that as well, too. But, um, yeah, they, uh, they're definitely, if you're looking for a new pack system, um, I would definitely recommend looking at the initial ascent packs. So, and then uh, a couple other booths we hit, uh, you know, Katie and I both shoot Tika firearms. So we swung by there and got to talk to them for a bit and look at some of the new stuff they have coming out. Um, so not only am I a woman hunter, which is a minority in this sport, but I'm also left-handed, left-handed, left eye dominant. And I, I just love my Tika. It is the nicest firearm I've owned. Just such smooth action. It's a freaking tack driver every time. And Jared was so jealous of it that he had to go out and buy his own. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not not to get off on a tangent, but it's nice to have kind of uh, kind of a, a firearm that can do it all. Really, you don't want to have you know you don't want to take a, a 338 Win Mag antelope hunting because I mean that's that's like that's like hitting a rabbit with a dump truck. I mean, so having having a kind of a well-rounded firearm. To, to pretty much take any North American big game animal is nice. So that's where I decided to go with a Tika as well. But um, got to swing by the MagView tent. Um, digiscoping is becoming just absolutely huge between binoculars and uh, spot scopes. There's, you know, All in Company, there's MagView, there's Phone Scope, and there's so many more over, you know, outside of that as well. And so, uh, looking to get into that, yeah, I saw I picked up a MagView setup, which uh, pretty much you put a magnetic ring on your eye relief on your binos, and then you put the the, the small magnet or the small uh, steel plate on the back of your phone. And their app, you just pretty much put the little cross on your on your eye cup on your binos, and boom, you're digiscoping. So you can take photos, you can take videos, and um, it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool setup. I'm I'm, get, I'm definitely uh, digging it pretty good. So. And what was that bugle tube you liked while we were there? Yeah, Slayer comes out. For a lot of people that struggle with the mouth read, um, some you know, everyone's mouth and head and body is shaped differently, and some people really fit the, you know, the profile for the mouth read. 
as of right now, I've been using the Easy Bugler from Phelps. You know, I feel like I can get pretty good sound out of it. And Slayer came out. Uh, Slayer Calls came out with a bugle tube that it's pretty much like a push button where you put your you put your mouth up to it, and when you kind of you can you can lip ball out of it. You can you can get like a lot of those those, those deep growly bugles out of it, and um, with no mouth read. So they're they're another good option if you. If you just can't get that reed set, I know a lot of people cut the reeds to fit their to fit their uh, the roof of their mouth, and it's definitely it takes practice. And you can't. A lot of times, I used to struggle with it too, where it's like, man, that just sounds dumb. That does not sound like an elk bugle in the least bit. But you just have to keep practicing and practicing and practicing until you become confident enough. Where when you're in the elk woods and you let out a bugle, another bull elk out there somewhere is going to be like, uh oh, <laughs> it's time to fight. So, yeah, overall, we have a lot of fun there. Um, it was fun this year going with some friends of ours, you know, getting to walk around with them and see the see the kind of booths that they want to go to. But, yeah, after about a day, two days, um, you're about done. So I think I was done about partway through the second day. <laughs> yeah. There's just the front room when you first go in, the main entrance is just a lot of, like, safaris and safari companies or just like big game trip hunting so new zealand africa all of the the, those big ones for sure even alaska there's quite a few that go to alaska to do caribou and moose and whatnot and yeah of course we'd love to do them but most of them start at like what twelve thousand dollars something like that they start off with and i mean for the vast majority of the hunting community a lot of a lot of men and women can't afford that well, like we said, we're just regular Joes. Like, you and yeah. I can't afford $12,000 a person to go hunt a single animal. Right. Nope, we just get over-the-counter tags, resident tags here in Wyoming. Yeah, so. get get over-the-counter tags and then obviously put in for your draw tags and yeah, hope and pray for the best. But, well, it's like, I, like I said before, it's the seasons, right, where hunting season comes to a close and then expo season starts. And then you kind of roll into banquet season. Mm-hmm. Where you start getting into the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation banquets, you start getting into the. Here in Wyoming, we have the Muley Fanatic banquets. Um, there's bow hunter banquets, all kinds of stuff, and then that kind of blends into like shed hunting season, where you start getting into like late March, April, into May, and you're out, you know, just mountain hiking, getting yourself back into keeping yourself in shape, and you know, in the mountain shape, um, and then kind of chalk it up to scouting trips too, just kind of keep an eye on herds and searching for the critters out there. And then you kind of go from shed hunt season into full blown scouting season where, well, you found out, Hey, I, I did draw that juicy elk tag. And well, it's like, okay, well, I've never hunted there. So I better go get boots on the ground. A lot of guys will start, uh, um, kind of they call it e-scouting right on on go hunt non-x and just trying to get a lay of the land through those apps and then you get your boots on the ground and start actually hiking and and then you kind of blend right back into hunting season and then it's just kind of keep revolving door so it's yeah. a lot of fun we enjoy tis it. the season exactly <laughs> it's always tis the season tis the season tis the season to go to expos tis the season to go to banquets tis the season to get at your butt in the mountains and get in shape and tis the season to hunt What's another thing too, like, like we had mentioned mountain regulars, we're not, you know, we're not these, you know, crazy athletes and things like that, that 
I mean, there's some guys and there's some women that are in tip-top physical shape where they just go and go and go and go and go. And it's like, am I in the most top physical shape of my life? No, but when I get in the mountains, you always kind of find that third gear where I may not just be blazing miles and miles and miles, but I'm out there, I'm doing it, I'm climbing the mountains, going down in the deep ravines. Yeah, I think to be an outdoors person, you don't have to kill yourself. Yeah. You just get out there and enjoy it at whatever level you're at. Right. So I know I push myself harder than I need to, but I like doing that. I like seeing how far I can push myself to to get to my goal or whatever. But even if, like we said, there's different levels of mountain regulars where it's, you could just be like a recreational person that just takes a drive through the mountains and just likes to sit there and have a picnic down by the rivers or fish at the, the lower lakes and whatnot. But like, there's really like, you're still a mountain person. You can't say that you're not true. Very true. I think there's just different levels. Well, yeah. Cause there's so many people that, I mean, you look at the majority of the United States and we're, Where's all the population at? It's all in the big cities and things like that where, I mean, they're in those massive concrete jungles with buildings and sky, you know, high rises and things like that. And that's kind of where Katie and I even grew up. I mean, we grew up two hours from New York City and two hours from Boston. So, I mean, we used to hang out in the cities and things like that. And they are fun in very small amounts, very, very small, like a full day and you're completely done for a long time, kind of got your fill of it. So... Yeah, even if you're not near a a so-called mountain range, just get outside. Find somewhere to hike, find a lake to go sit on, skip rocks, just do something outside where you're not sitting behind your TV, you're not sitting at a desk just working your life away. Like It's uh, not to be cliche, but life is very short, and uh, you got to find... You got to find a passion and enjoy it, and ours is in the mountains. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that was a good recap of the expo. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of, kind of led into other explanations of of kind of the new four new seasons that we follow. Yeah, where again, expos, banquets, outdoor recreation, and then hunting. So, and they all can blend into each other, of course, too. But yeah. those are the four main ones that we kind of you can kind of observe trends. I think with the banquets and the expos too, because I mean, a lot of times when you're scouting, you're not necessarily meeting new people. True. A lot of times you're out there by yourself. You're out there with your hunting partner. You're out there. Most people don't want to meet new people while they're hunting. Exactly. Very, very true. <laughs> they want to be away from everybody. Yeah. You don't want to see someone else wearing orange out there as well. But um, going to the expos, and especially the banquets are a lot more personal. Because the expos, I mean, there's just a bajillion people there. But when you go to a banquet, a lot of times you're sitting at a table with someone that you don't know. And uh, that's where you really get to meet other people in the community. And, and like I said, they've got they've got a ton of their own stories. Yeah. You get to share photos and get to share memories with these people. And you kind of just, you know, create a, you know, a, a connection with somebody. And then next thing you know, you see them on Instagram. You see them on TikTok. You see them on Facebook. And you kind of say, hey, man, I'm so-and-so. You know, we sat at the banquet together. And you kind of re- rehash a little bit. So they're a lot of fun to attend as well. So, but yeah, it's um, it's a blast from start to finish. Well, I'm Katie. I'm Jared. We'll catch you next time. It sounds good. We'll see you.